So identity and Christ and accountability. Let's look at first John chapter three first. As much as we would desire to minister to others, we need others to minister to us as well. God made us for community. We're not to be isolated lone wolves in the flock of the of God and the body of Christ. He made us to have community with him first and then with others as well. And by his grace, he uses the bride, the church, to help us grow and change. And we are all on this road together. Look at 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Because of the love of God, we have now community with him. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So our identity is no longer in sin. It is no longer in the darkness that we were once in. It's now in the light of Christ, and the world does not see that and understand that. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It's important to, when helping someone to change, to realize that change has to be grounded in the gospel. Change has to be grounded in the gospel. Or to put it in another way, help them to understand their identity with Christ and that identity providing the means of grace to change. Turn your Bibles to John 15. Here's an excellent identity passage for us. John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Notice the identity here. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We have life. We have the ability to grow and change. We have the ability to help others grow and change because we are in the vine. Well, why is that so important? Because we make decisions every single day. Our thoughts are dictated every day. Each moment of every day, we have identity We find our identity, we assign our identity, oftentimes in things that are not in Christ. Things that are not in the new life that we have now in Christ. And so we must continually remind ourselves and be reminding others that our identity is now assigned to us. It's not something that can change, it's assigned to us, unchangeable by God through Christ. And our identity is so often, is so... uh, oftentimes not in who God has called us to be and what he's claimed that we are. It's more closely aligned with our problems. And our problems begin to define us over and above our relationship with God through Christ. And our problems may describe our struggles, but they don't define who who we are. For instance, you might have heard somebody say at one point, well, I'm just an angry person. And they're defining themselves, they're finding their identity and their anger. Rather than saying, I'm a child of God who struggles with anger. 
One has no hope in it. The second has all the hope because the hope, our hope is found in Christ alone. Our hope is found in the ability, the power of God in us to change. This is the difficulty with sending a Christian to something like a 12-step program where they come and say, Hi, my name is Cody. Even though it's been 35 years, I'm whatever it was that they were struggling with. They're still defined. Their identity is still in something other than Christ as compared to saying, I'm a child of God. I may struggle with something, but that's not who I am any longer. My hope, my identity is in Christ. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. I'm going to spend a few minutes here in this passage looking at the hope that we have in Christ for change. 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Notice verse 3 and 4 to begin with. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Notice the justification. We're made right by God through Christ. Justification. Notice the adoption that is there. He causes us to be born again. Notice the grace of the gospel there in verse 3 and verse 4. But then let's look at 5 through 7. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have our, our hope found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ability to change is found in Jesus Christ, because we have been justified, we've been made alive through God's work in us. Now let's take the flip to the, the corresponding pasture, passage over in Second Peter chapter 1. Peter picking up right where he left off in First Peter, Second Peter 1, 3 through 7, 3 through 9 as well. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, we've been justified in 3 and verse 4, now verse 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort, sanctification, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with, with love. We're called to grow to be like Christ. And that's rooted in the relationship that we have with Christ by God in verses 3 and 4. But it continues in verse 8. 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, the fruit that we bear in sanctification is rooted in, all the way back to 3 and 4, justification. So we're justified, but then we are to pursue that sanctification through the power of Christ. But the level of our pursuit is directly shown in the fruit that we bear. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, we're pursuing them, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So how do we lose that effectiveness? How do we lose the ability to, to produce fruit for the glory of God? In our lives? Or, let's put it another way, how do we lose the effectiveness to change? We want to help one another change to be more like Christ. How do we lose that effectiveness? By losing sight of our identity. Losing sight of verses 3 and 4. What God has given to us by His work of grace in our hearts. Well, then the question is, okay, so I'm helping a person. They're not being effective They're not bearing fruit as they should. How can I help them grasp 3 and 4? Well, notice the verbiage in verse 3. His divine power has, meaning it's already been done, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and grace. Meaning the work has already been done. It's our grace by the Holy Spirit to recall that to mind and help others to recall it to mind, but it's already been done for us. It has been granted to us. And it not only has been in the past, it will continue by grace forward into the future. Let's think of this in sort of a practical way. The enemy comes into my life or maybe yours and he brings uh, a temptation. No, Cody, you're really missing out. If you just take this, this little sin, whatever it be, there's not going to really be any too much harm. Just, just try it. Or maybe he says, you know, you don't have what it takes to conquer this sin. Just give in a little bit. It's okay. Just indulge yourself just a bit. It'll give you what you need, you know? You're trying to fight all this nasty sin here. If you just give in a little bit, it kind of satisfy a little bit, and then you can sort of pick up on the fight. And yet this passage calls us, reminds us, that our purpose is not to be about our own lives. It's to be about the business of glorifying God. We're reminded in this passage of the work of God for us, that it has been granted to us. But look at verse 4 by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become, notice, partakers of the divine nature. Paul is telling us God's intention, God's purpose for us, and that's to be the participants in his divine nature. If we tie verses 4 and 5 together, what do we see? We see that our need in this life is, is not material, it's not emotional, it's not physical, it's not relational, it's moral. We have a moral need. We have a need 
for those who are unsaved to have a heart ruled by God and for those that are saved to continue to let God rule and reign in our hearts rather than our sinful desires. Look at the end of verse 4. Sometimes when we're trying to help someone grow and change, the thought is, I'm struggling with this particular sin. Maybe I could just remove myself as far as possible from the sin. Is that a biblical principle? Yes. In many ways it is. Think of Joseph being tempted. As my father-in-law says, a good run is better than a poor stand. Takes off, right? And there's certainly others cases in scripture as well there's also the case to stand firm hold fast why is that well look at verse 4 look at the very end of it so that through them you may become through the great promises you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire what happens when we have our hearts Ruled by God, we escape the corruption of the world because of our sinful desire. Notice the sinful desire is within us. That is what is causing the corruption. We can't isolate ourselves from the corruption of the world because in many ways it's within us. There isn't a, a mountain tall enough you can climb or a, a, a monastery quiet, quiet enough or a, a bunker deep enough that gets us away from the corruption because, as we know in James, sin begins within our own hearts. The corruption is in us. The sinful desire is in our own heart. But that doesn't, that doesn't have us without hope because we now have been changed. And we have the ability now to fight that sin. But we're to turn, we're to turn and, and in this opportunity to grow and change, turn and face it in many ways. Facing our own hearts. Certainly if there's temptations without, there's times to remove yourself from those temptations. But to recognize that we cannot run and sort of figure out we can isolate ourselves from our own hearts. It's understanding our identity that is found in verse 3 and 4 of Second Peter 1 that we can begin to help a person grow and change. Let's think of an analogy here. You get a call tomorrow. That a long-lost relative, and this isn't a uh, scam off the Internet, in some place far, has now died and wants to give you $50 million. No, he actually calls and it's real. And he gives you $50 million and you walk down to the bank and you deposit it in there and then you, you joyfully tell your wife, Honey, we're, we're going on that vacation we've always wanted to go on. Cost is no longer something we have to consider. $20,000, we're on our way to Paris tomorrow on a private jet. We'll wine and dine for days on end, and then we'll come back home. And you do that. And so you go for these weeks here in France, and you enjoy your time, and money is no object. And then you return, and a month later, your wife comes to you and says, Honey, you know, I'm still struggling to make ends meet with the budget. You know, I'm trying to stretch these dimes into dollars and be able to figure out a way to provide for the, 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 the food budget or whatever it is, pay the rent. Why don't you just go on down to the bank and get us some money? Oh, honey, you know the lines at the bank these days? 
You know how difficult it is to go through all that traffic and sit there for hours, and then I get to the bank and something's broken or somebody else has a problem that stand in line for an hour. You know, honey, just make the dime stretch to dollars. It's okay. Maybe one day we'll go down there and get that money out. It's absurd, isn't it? No, of course. You would drive down, even if you had to wait hours all day long, days on end if necessary, to be able to pull the money that was in the bank that was yours. In many ways, that's the difficulty we have in the Christian life. Fighting for our identity, fighting for Christ in our own hearts is a difficult, difficult thing. Challenging at best, and yet what do we do? We so often go, well... Instead of claiming the inheritance I have with Christ, instead of claiming the identity I have with Christ, instead of rejoicing over all these great and precious promises, I'll just give in a little bit. I'll just stick with trying to make ends meet with my fight against sin. But we have so much more, don't we, in Christ. Let's go and to the Word. Let's go to this Scripture and Rejoice at the promises. Rejoice at the change that we have the ability to make because of the work of Christ for us. Let's go over to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. Notice the ifs. There's four of them in verse 1. Paul, again, telling us, if these four things are true, then do this. Let's look at the four ifs. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if number one. If there is any comfort from love, if number two. If there's any participation in the Spirit, if number three. If there's any affection and sympathy, meaning because of who you are in Christ, you now have this relationship with God, these things are true. If these things are true, if you are a believer, these four things are true. There is an encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from the love of God. There is participation with the Holy Spirit. There is affection and sympathy afforded to us by God. Then do this. Notice verse 2. Then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind with one another doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If we have these truths in verse 1, then we do have the ability, because our change is grounded in the identity that we have in Christ, to be able to do these things. If you struggle with joy, that's now you now have the ability to change and go from being discouraged to a joyful Christian. If you struggle with, with relationship difficulties... Because of the relationship now we now have with God through Christ, we can now change with our relationships with others. If you struggle with pride, 
you have now the ability in Christ to change that to humility. The power of Christ in us gives us the ability to change. But are we rooting that change in the identity that we have with Christ or are we rooting our identity in our problems? That is so often the the difficulty with helping someone change is helping them to realize what they now have in Christ because of the gospel. Number four. accountability what is accountability well it's it's a confusing word for many in fact it's a bad word for most is it uh, just simply catching someone doing the wrong thing sort of setting a trap for them or you're watching to see what would happen I remember one time a young person I knew in this community, I was on Main Street and I observed that they were with another person that they probably shouldn't be with. And they were walking up and down Main Street together. And so I drove my car from point to point to point down Main Street, leaned the seat back, watch them walk by. Is that accountability? Snooping on them? Serving from a distance? Spying? Or maybe accountability is more, hey, you sin, bop. You know, I'm the royal bopper. Slap you over the head because you sin. You know, I'm supposed to be your conscience now and help you understand how bad you really did this. Of course not. That's not accountability. We know that. But what is accountability then? Because that's so oftentimes how we actually think about it. I have, there's so much confusion here. I've seen it. It, the way I've handled accountability with others, the way others have accountability have handled accountability with me, whether it's a struggle that is shared or a sin that is confessed, and once those words come from that person's mouth, it's as if I'm a deer in the headlights or they're a deer in the headlights. What do you say? What do you do? I'm supposed to be accountable to this person, but now what I'm supposed to do? I know I'm not supposed to bop them over the head, but what do I say? Accountability is this. It is assisting people to do what is right for the long term. It is assisting people to do what is right for the long term. Christians are to have a long-term look at things. We talked about this last week. We're not to have a a, a nearsightedness that so often comes with sin. We're to look forward with hope to the return of Christ. We're to have an eternal perspective. And accountability is helping someone do what is right with that eternal perspective in mind. Tripp states this in his book, Instrument in Redeemer's Hands. Accountability provides loving structure, guidance, encouragement, and warning to someone who is fully committed to the change God is working in his life. The person who makes accountability work is always the person being held accountable. Notice that. The person who makes accountability work is always the person being held accountable. He doesn't see our presence and help as scary or intrusive. He doesn't run or hide from it. Rather, he is glad to know that that as others stand with him, God stands with him. Accountability works because he is a seeker, not a runner. 
The runner doesn't need accountability. He needs rebuke. Accountability is help for those who are committed to change. You want to be committed to change and you want somebody to hold you accountable? The responsibility, the onus is upon you to work that accountability. If you want someone to hold you accountable and then the goal is for you then to run from that, that's not accountability at all. In fact, it's necessary then for the person that is holding you accountability to come alongside and rebuke you. Let's look at some of these terms that Tripp states here. Accountability provides structure, guidance, assistance, encouragement, and warning. Let's put the first one up there. Accountability provides structure. How does that so? Well, life is oftentimes uh, chaotic at best. And so you're, as you're going through life and it's busy, busy, busy and go, 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 and you're seeking to know uh, how to fight that sin, accountability can provide some structure. Hey, let's meet together once a week on Tuesdays, have lunch together, let's talk, let's pray together, let's read the word, let's fight sin together. It provides some sense of structure. It provides something that you, you can sort of ground yourself in that you know is just going to be there. That person's going to come up to me on Sunday morning. We're going to have a little chat. He's going to encourage me. I'm going to encourage him. It's immensely helpful to someone who's sort of in the fight of sin to their ears, so to speak, that they can't quite see. They can barely keep above water, and they need something that just sort of provides them some sort of structure to it all. And you can come in and say, well, listen, here's what you're going to do, and this is what we'll, how we'll do it. This is the word of truth for you this morning. Number two, guidance. Closely connected to structure, someone comes, wants some accountability, wants some help, and they say, well, listen, I I don't know what to do. I I hate this sin. I want it out of my life. I want to change. I want to grow. What do I do? Accountability provides structure. You're able to meet with them. You're able to encourage them. You say, look, this this is the word of hope and truth for you this week. Hold to this. Maybe it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there's no temptation whatever it would be, or you're able to come alongside them and say, look, here's what you do. Here's how you ground your desire to change from this particular sin in your identity in Christ, in the gospel. You want to stop this particular sin? Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. How do you do that? Well, let's, Maybe you take them over to 1 Corinthians and you show them how they're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You take it to their Take it to the heart. Accountability provides encouragement. Oftentimes what someone needs when they're seeking to grow and change is just the encouragement to know that someone else is praying for them, is thinking about them, is willing to devote their time and effort to them, whatever wisdom they might have, love and 
joy uh, from the scriptures. It provides encouragement. This is oftentimes just what we need. We need someone to walk with us. We need other people need us to walk with them. It takes time out of our day. It takes effort and energy that we may not always have. And yet if we give ourselves to that work, it is a glorious work of being able to come alongside a person and see them grow and change and be more like Christ. It's addictive work. It's an encouraging work if we will do, if we will give ourselves to that. Lastly, accountability provides a warning. Sometimes when people uh, confess their sin and they desire to grow and change, after a time they begin to slip back into that sin. They become hardened. We talked about last week the parable of the sower. They become, they become that hard path, that hard soil. The seed cannot, the word of God cannot penetrate into it. And they, they grow hard against the truth of love for their sin and that accountability comes along and provides a warning. Brother, sister, don't do this. This is not honoring to God. This will not, this will not achieve the end to which you desire. The blessing of God is not upon your sin here. Give yourself to the work of repentance and belief in the promises of God and Christ for you. It provides warning. It's, it, this, is, this is, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is sort of in many ways the second step of church discipline. I think it is a bad word, but the first step being evaluating my own heart, which we'll do this morning in communion following the main service. But then uh, as your, your friend or compatriot in the gospel, your accountability partner comes along and, and warns you in many ways, he's calling you to that repentance. He's calling you to evaluate your heart. Judge yourself, examine yourself, warning you, don't go this route. There's consequences to sin. Accountability provides structure. It provides guidance and assistance. It provides encouragement. It provides a warning. Here's three questions you might, you might uh, ask when you're seeking to provide help, provide accountability, helpful accountability to someone. Three questions. What kinds of ongoing help will this person need? What kinds of ongoing help will this person need? Number two, how often will I need to be in contact with him or her for change to continue? Sometimes I think that accountability is thought of, well, this is long-term. No, when, typically when I sit down with someone and want to provide a long uh, accountability where there's really help that is needed to grow and change in a particular sin area, I'll tell them a particular time. Listen, I'll, I'll walk with you for 12 to 16 weeks, but if you'll apply the word of God, I see no difficulty in the fact that in 12 to 16 weeks, you won't need my accountability in this way anymore. Now, I certainly can provide encouragement to them, certainly love on them, show them Christ, walk with them as a brother, but that type of accountability won't be needed any longer if they'll, com- if they'll commit themselves to the word of God. The word of God changes people. It is powerful. So what kinds of ongoing help would this person need? Question number one. Number two, how often will I need to be in contact with him or her for change to continue? And then number three, are there other resources in the body of Christ that should be helpful during this period? And how can I connect this person to these resources? Are there other resources in the body of Christ that would be helpful during this period? How can I connect this person to these resources? Whether maybe it's a another brother or sister in the body who has uh, 
past struggle with this area, they can encourage them. Maybe it's a, a book that somebody else has read that you've heard about. What resources can you help provide them with? You want to help them provide them with resources. That provides hope and that gives them some structure to grow and change. So we have spent at least 12, 14 weeks on biblical counseling, taking the word of God and applying it to everyday life and helping others apply it to everyday life, not just to our own. And this, this study has been rooted in two truths. One would be that the word of God is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness, that the word of God is powerful, that the word of God applied to your heart, applied to a life, changes people. So what is your perception of the word of God this morning? Is it the the dusty book that you have to open to check the box every morning or evening? Or is it the living word of God given to you out of love that provides hope, it provides instruction, it provides warning? And the second truth that that biblical counseling is is rooted upon is that we are called to be ambassadors for for Christ. We're called to to shine the light of Christ. We'll see that in the passage in Mark this morning. We're called to be light. We're called to be salt in a dark world. We're called to 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 be that ambassador. If you were the ambassador for the United States of America to America to some foreign country, you're called to represent America to that country. And we are called each day to represent Christ. And so encouraging another person in the word and helping them apply that word to their daily life is rooted in the fact that you believe, number one, that the word of God is true and is all that you need pertaining to life and godliness and, and has the ability to change people. And then number two, realizing that you're then given that responsibility by God to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. It's in the home, it's at the workplace, it's here at church. How are you doing in your ambassadorial calling? Before we close in prayer, any thoughts from this study this morning? Any questions I might be able to clarify or or answer for you? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, when I was when I was saying that out of my personal example, I'm talking about you know I struggle with anger. Uh, you're talking about more of an emotion that is coming in uh, as a result of something. Maybe it's that's happening. Maybe a relative died. Uh, maybe someone has hurt them. And certainly, depending upon what they're struggling with, can go long or short. Yeah, so something like grief, let's say somebody's grieving the death uh, of someone or they're just grieving the loss of a relationship, um, a, a relationship that was once very good and now very hurtful, and they're just aching through that. You know, you may have to go a long time with them just in the sense of you don't want that hurt to go to bitterness. So you're walking with them as necessary. In many ways, it's not, you know, it's time stamp something. The reason, one of the reasons why I give a time period sometimes to people is I want them to, I want to provide them hope that this is not a, 
a thing they'll fight for the rest of their life. But for someone that's for something that's more of a, a hurt or an emotion like that, I probably wouldn't put a time on it. I would just walk with them in love and let the Lord do the work and through me heal them, encourage them, and eventually I get to eventually I get to uh, being able to help bring them to you know see them come out of that. Something like grief is not necessarily helping them grow and change as much as just helping them not allow that hurt to go to something more that they have to grow and change from. Good question. Okay, let's go to a time. Let's let's pray. Close here. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your word that is true. Plant it deep within us, Father. May the word become that which is the source of such pleasure and delight in our lives that it is all that we could do to constrain ourselves from from giving it out to others and encouraging others. Give us wisdom, Father, as we walk with people, with our children and with our spouse, with our co-worker, with our extended family, with the mature believer in Christ, with the new believer in Christ. Give us, give us grace and wisdom and above all love as we walk with them. Knowing how to help them each day see the, their identity in Christ and yet at the same time also helping them with their sanctification as well that flows from that justification that we have. Father, may we be about the business of representing Christ to a lost and dying world and representing Christ to the body of Christ. And may we do that well. Father, we thank you again for this morning. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray.